You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is Baldy's Breakdowns, the podcast, a radio.com sports original. Welcome into the Baldy's Breakdowns podcast, flying solo today without Jason Locke and Fora. I'm your host, Brian Baldinger. Jason works for CBS. CBS is producing Super Bowl 55. They've got Jason running around all over Tampa, at the stadium, at the hotel. He's tracking stories. He's going to be on TV for an ungodly amount of hours tomorrow. We're going to let Jason lock in on his Super Bowl here, and I'm going to fly this thing solo. So here we are. It is 3 o'clock on the East Coast, a little bit after 3. We are literally 27 hours away from kickoff of Super Bowl 55 in a world which is really remarkable that we're 27 hours away, and we're going to have a game in Tampa with the Buccaneers hosting the first ever Super Bowl game. We thought other teams could do it prior to this. We thought teams had a chance to do this prior to this. But it's the Buccaneers. Should we be surprised that Tom Brady is quarterback in Tampa and the first team ever to host the Super Bowl game? So I think everybody has gotten their share of analysis from television, from podcasts, from the radio, from their friends, from, uh, you know, their neighbors. I'm sure everybody is pretty much know as much as you could possibly know about these two teams. But let's just touch on a few things here that I think will be important as we get closer to kickoff tomorrow in Tampa. One, let's just start with things that really the teams have no control over, but the officiating. What we have seen in the playoffs uh, in both of these AFC and NFC runs is very few penalties. For example, the Chiefs and the Bills in the AFC championship game had a grand total of seven penalties for 70 yards. All right. You know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Green Bay Packers in that championship game had a grand total of six penalties for 38 yards. Six. I mean, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had two penalties for four yards. So the idea that it, this is going to be a flag fest, it just isn't going to happen. That people are going to call holding calls. It's not going to happen. I would guess that when the ball is in the air for both teams down the field, that they're going to let the, the receivers and the defensive backs run stride for stride. They're going to be hand-checking. There's going to be contact. And I'd be surprised if you see the type of penalties that we watched during the year that can change the course of the game. I just don't think we're going to get that tomorrow. I think we're going to get what is 
usually referred to as a pretty clean game. Uh, you know, the egregious penalties, the pre-snap penalties, the offsides, uh, those kind of things, I think, you know, you could get it. I think you could get under severe pressure a quarterback, you know, could definitely get an intentional grounding call. All right. We have seen that. We've seen Brady against Seattle back in, you know, in that Super Bowl game, throw an intentional grounding pass out of the back of the end zone and they flagged him. Kind of caught us all by surprise. But outside of just really egregious errors and obvious errors, I just don't think the 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 seven officials tomorrow are going to influence this game. So let's just eliminate that. Because I know fans go, well, you know, the officials, you know, they control the game. I, I don't think we're going to get that. I think they're just going to let them play. It may even be told to Andy Reid and Bruce Arians that they're going to let them play. I know this. We're going to go here to the, the remade Kansas City Chief offensive line. So with that in mind, we saw in the final 17 plays, after Eric Fisher tore his Achilles, the left tackle for the Chiefs, we saw a rebuilt offensive line that consisted of Mike Remmers going from right tackle to left tackle. We saw Nick Allegretti stay at left guard. Austin Ryder stay at center. We saw Andrew Wiley, the right guard, go to right tackle. And we saw Stefan Wisniewski, who started the year uh, with the Pittsburgh Steelers, was released, picked up by the Kansas City Chiefs, go back in to right guard. Of course, he started for the Chiefs in the Super Bowl run a year ago, and he started for the Eagles three years ago in Super Bowl 52. So he has experience in this game. But they have not played together except for 17 plays. So let's just say if Mike Remmers has a hard time with Jason Pierre-Paul, which could easily happen. We saw that happen in the NFC Championship game where Billy Turner was the left tackle for, you know, David Bakhtiari, and he struggled mightily against Jason Pierre-Paul. We've got to see if they're going to call flags, if you're going to hold you know, if you're going to prevent him from getting to the quarterback, we got to see how they call that. But anyways, I think outside of the two quarterbacks, I think the biggest storyline in this game is the Chiefs offensive line. I don't know how it could not be. The strength of this entire Tampa Bay team is their defensive front, is their four starting defensive linemen, okay, that that is Jason Pierre-Paul and Shaq Barrett, and Vita Vea, along with along with uh, uh I mean that's and then when you go Levante David and Devin White, that's the strength of the whole team. They're number one against the run for the second year in a row. They gave up a paltry three point six yards per carry. All right, uh, teams ran for less than thirteen hundred yards in sixteen games against them. They held up just fine. You know, in the playoffs, in fact, in the championship game, the Packers ran for 67 yards. Um, you know, they they're, they are fantastic. Vita Vea, after missing most of the season with a broken ankle, I think he was hurt in week four, got back to the championship game, was a factor, played more than half the snaps, which surprised me. I, I expected him to play even more uh, tomorrow in Tampa. Uh, I think he's the most unblockable defensive lineman against the run in the NFL. Uh, when you feel the punch of Vita Vea, he gives anybody a problem. So, 
Anyways, I think the number one storyline, like I say, is the Chiefs' rebuilt offensive line going up against that front of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, we all know that the Chiefs are a passing team. I've known Andy Reid since he came to Philadelphia in 1999. For 14 years in Philadelphia, people heard how imbalanced the run-pass ratio was. And Andy Reid just flat out deflected it over and over and over again. He believes in throwing the football to get a lead, and he believes in running the football to finish a game. That's usually, if things go the way he likes it to go, that's what happens. And it happened last year in Super Bowl 54 against the 49ers. 49ers up 20 to 10 in the fourth quarter, third and 15. Uh, Patch Mahomes uncorks just a helium balloon to Tyreek Hill for, you know, 50 yards and a first down. That was the spark. They scored in that drive. They scored in the next drive. They got the lead, and Damian Williams finished it out, finished with 111 yards rushing. So that's kind of what Andy Reid's formula has been, and that's probably what it will be tomorrow. Now, they will try some of those fly sweep runs to Tyreek Hill or McCall Hardman like we saw in the AFC Championship game. We saw McCall Hardman, you know, after he fumbled the punt, muffed the punt, we saw him take an underneath handoff from Mahomes, go for 50 yards. I mean, that could happen, and you could call it a run, whatever. I mean, they'll find different ways to run it, but I believe that, you know, they're going to come out throwing it. So can Matrick Mahomes be protected well enough in order to have success throwing the football? So what we saw from Mahomes this year is we did not see the number of long balls. In fact, we didn't see it much last year. Like we saw in 2018 when he threw 50 touchdowns and was the runaway MVP of the league. We didn't see a lot of that last year. We didn't see much of it this year because he's very, very content on taking checkdowns right now, on throwing it over the middle to Kelsey for seven yards, letting him run for three or four. So we could see that. And then to see him run for like he did in the, you know, the championship game against the Bills, he ran five times. But, he, you know, he had a nine-yard run for first down. You know, and that was, uh, you know, a read option type run. So, you know, he'll run it and be part of the running game, whether it's a scramble or design run. There'll be a few of those. But the key is for Tampa, because if you go back to week 12, when Tampa got beat 27 to 24 in the game, you know, the Bucks came out and they had four straight three and outs. It was three plays and punt, three plays and punt, three plays and punt. And, you know, the, the, the Bucks just fell so far behind. And meanwhile, the Chiefs were just firing these balls, including the first play of the game. They ran Tyreek Hill on a, a motion across the formation, threw it to him, and the Bucks were sound asleep. And next thing you know, Tyreek Hill was going for 34 yards. And he caught, you know, he caught seven passes for 203 yards and two touchdowns in the first quarter. We've never seen anything like it before. I don't think we'll see anything like that in this game. I think Todd Bowles, the defensive coordinator, going up against Eric Bieniemy. And Andy Reid, the play callers, is a good matchup, um, really good matchup and a fun matchup because how will Todd Bowles handle this time around against the Chiefs? Well, I think, number one, he'll take Antoine Winfield Jr., who's healthy now, uh, and they'll put him over the top wherever Tyreek Hill goes. All right? So I think he'll be the deep safety, the free safety. And while he's a great tackler, and, you know, he can come into the alley and make good tackles. 
I think they're going to concentrate on keeping him back and playing him over the top of Tyreek Hill. We call that cloudy a receiver. I, I believe that he will be a cloud over Tyreek Hill everywhere he goes. For much of the game, not every play, but enough that will dissuade Patrick Mahomes from making Tyreek Hill his first read. And and maybe eliminating some of the deep shots to him. Now, we've seen Patrick Mahomes, I believe that his greatest strength are his eyes. I think he's got eagle eyes, the eyes of a hawk. I think he sees the field like nobody else in this league. And that's one of the reasons why he's so difficult to defend, is that because his arm is so strong and so accurate, anybody that he sees on a field is an eligible receiver, regardless of where he's at. And Mahomes feels like he can get them the ball. So we, we could see. So if you take Tyreek Hill and try to limit the big plays from him, and I did a number of Baldi's breakdowns for the NFL Network on it and on my Twitter site. So they're all out there to go take a look at. Then you look at Travis Kelsey, who looks almost unstoppable. Um, you know, when you look at the season that he had, you know, the 105 catches, the 11 touchdowns, averaging almost 14 yards a catch. It continued all the way through the postseason. In both postseason games, we, we saw the same type of production, crazy production. You know, he, he was thrown to 15 times against the Buffalo Bills in the AFC Championship game, and he caught 13 passes and two touchdowns. 13 passes for 118 yards. Now, that's less than 10 yards a catch, but a lot of them were third-down conversions. A lot of them was Mahomes on the move and on the run. And when he starts moving, he looks for 87. And Kelsey's just so good at understanding what the defense is doing, whether it's man or zone, and finding the open spot for Mahomes to get him the ball. And that's really the biggest challenge, I think, for this Bucks defense tomorrow, is can they, on third downs or in some of those situations when Mahomes is moving, can they take Kelsey out? Can they plaster him? Can they defend him? Can they collapse on him when Mahomes is looking for him? Something to look for tomorrow for sure. Now, they've got Sammy Watkins back, and that's that's uh, important. Sammy Watkins last year, because he's been out throughout the postseason with a bad calf. But Sammy Watkins is more than capable of beating any one of the three corners of Tampa Bay. That includes Carlton Davis, Jamel Dean, or Sean Murphy Bunting. Uh, if Sammy Watkins is left one-on-one against any one of those three defenders, Watkins can win. He did last year against San Francisco, and San Francisco's got had very good corners, including Richard Sherman. So he had five catches, 98 yards, including a really important one late in the game. Um, you know, when, when the Chiefs were down 20 to 17, caught a really important pass down the sideline against Sherman. So, uh, and then you have Byron Pringle, who will be active, and he's he stepped up when uh, you, you know, when, when Sammy Watkins was been out. And then they have, you, have to, you have to account for Demarcus Robinson, and you have to account for the backs out of the backfield. So if we flip it, if we flip it around, we look at the Bucks' offense. You know, for the first time, really, almost all year, they're completely healthy. I mean, they had Ali Marpet miss time this year. Um, you know, they lost their starting right guard. Aaron Stinney has gone in for him. Uh, you know, Ron Jensen went to left guard. I mean, they juggled guys around. Uh, Ted Larson, you know, went in at center. I mean, they did a lot of different things. Uh, you know, Antonio Brown has been out. So you look at that and you go, okay, all those things 
you know, are now they're they're past all of that. Uh, so on both sides of the ball, they're completely healthy. Anton Woodfield Jr. missed some time. He's back at free safety. They can line up. Vita Vea, obviously, back in the lineup. So when you look at the Bucks' offense, the second half of the season, Tom Brady was just a different player. I mean, they threw the ball down the field, but with a more accuracy, more precision, and more big plays. So with Antonio Brown back in the lineup, and he's been out, but, you know, when, when the last eight games of the season, Antonio Brown caught 44 passes, for over 500 yards and five touchdowns. He was the most productive receiver on the team. And the one thing that Antonio Brown can do, and I think he does it better than Mike Evans or Chris Godwin, is when a play does break down, you take away the number one wide receiver from Tom Brady. And that Antonio Brown, him and T.O., those two receivers, I don't know that we've seen anybody fight harder to go get inside the quarterback's vision to go catch a football than T.O. and Antonio Brown. It, it helps to make both those receivers really special. And when you t- would take away the first read of Brady, or sometimes the second, that Antonio Brown, I mean, he, he found a way to get open. And so it's something to look for tomorrow. Now, Brady likes to get the ball out on time. Uh, they do a number of different things for that to happen. They can adjust the routes. Brady reads defenses well as well as anybody that's ever played a game. Um, he can beat you quickly with decision-making. They also do a number of play actions with max protection and just two or three receivers in the route. And when you see that, Brady gets an extra tick for those routes by Evans, Godwin, Brown, whatever, Grant, um, to really sort of accelerate down the field. And they'll take their shots off that. The one thing that frustrated me throughout the season with Tampa Bay, was on some of their third downs. We saw this in the postseason, too. And I talked about this with Kurt Warner a lot. But they had third downs, which could be anywhere from third and one to third and three, where their answer on third down was to throw a deep ball down the field, what we call a go route, 30, 40, 50 yards down the field. And it's just a low percentage throw. Brady threw very few of those when he was in New England. He threw a lot in 2007 when Randy Moss was setting a record, catching 23 touchdown passes. But I think tomorrow, if they're in third and one, you always have to look for the quarterback sneak from Brady. I mean, he's just so good at it. And regardless of what the play is coming in, I think Brady will take it upon himself, the quarterback sneak. Third in a yard or less, expect quarterback sneak. Third in a yard or more, I, I think you'll see – Brady just take what the defense gives him. Get the first down, move the chains, and move on. I don't think you'll see deep go balls, regardless of Bruce Arians' philosophy of no risk it, no biscuit. Regardless of that, I think Brady is going to want to keep possession of the football. And it could be check downs to the back. Uh, Both Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones are really good receivers. Um, they'll both be active tomorrow. Uh, and so look for that. I think the screen game will be big for Tampa tomorrow. I think Ryan Jensen, Ali Marpet, I think they're excellent in the screen game, excellent in getting out and picking off linebackers or guys that are in coverage. Look for that. Um, the one thing, if you, if you then look at the Bucks offense from the Chiefs defense, when you look at the Chiefs defense, 
I don't know that they get enough credit uh, for just the type of football that they're capable of playing. I mean, if you look at them statistically this year, they finished tied for 10th in the league defensively. All right, so, I mean, it's not a bad defense. But the one thing that Steve Spagnuolo will always ask his players to do is be able to play lock-up man-to-man defense. So, Charverius Ward, Bashad Breeland, Legereus Sneed. I mean, these guys can flat-out cover. So, even Rashad Fenton, who had the interception against Buffalo in the NFC Championship game, he's their fourth corner. They all are very good at reading routes, playing sticky coverage, all right, and kind of freeing up other guys to either blitz or double on other receivers. So count on a lot of press man coverage tomorrow. This little Jerry Sneed at Louisiana Tech, their fourth-round pick. I know he got hurt against Buffalo. He's, he's just been an outstanding player. Now, Steve Spagnuolo, of course, was a defensive coordinator for the Giants. In 2007, when they, when they stopped Tom Brady and the Patriots on their path to perfection, going for 19-0, holding the, the highest-scoring offense in the history of the NFL through 2007 to 14 points. And while they had a great defensive line that consisted of Osio Menorah, Strahan, you know, and Justin Tuck, well, they had elite pass rushers. They also blitzed a little bit, and it moved Tom Brady, and it made life difficult for him, and he had some really struggled on some third downs. Uh, so, I mean, that's, you know, 13 years ago. Uh, it doesn't really come into play, except that Spags beat him that day. And you can get inside, if you can get inside the quarterback's head, even if it was from 13 years ago, um, you know, that's that's some of the battle. The game is played from the neck up. So the one thing that you can see from Coach Spags tomorrow is when he blitzes, he likes to blitz um, the fast guys, the secondary guys. He likes to blitz Tyron Matthew. He likes to, to blitz Bashad Breeland. Or Legereus Snead. Those guys are smaller, faster, quicker. And so they get there in a, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to sack uh, Tom Brady, but if they can make him speed his process up or make him move, that can be just as effective. So look for that tomorrow. Um, and in and, and Spags, it's, it's not every down, but he'll pick his spots. He'll also go zero blitz. So zero blitz is when you basically go man-to-man with no safety, no safety net on the back end of your defense. And it, it's just – you just risk it all. You, you, you're willing to give up the big play to get them off the field. And Spags, the closer you get to the end zone, the more prevalent – the higher the percentage is that he will blitz zero against your team. And the thing that makes it really devious is they don't show it. Uh, is is fortuitous as Tom Brady is, as prescient as Tom Brady is about diagnosing what you're doing. Pre-snap, the the Chiefs are really good at disguising where they're coming from if and when they do come. So it's a really good chess match back and forth. Uh, Coach Spags going up against Bruce Arians and going up against Tom Brady uh, in the Chiefs offense. Now, the other area that you have got to consider is just the overall special teams play. And so, you know, this Harrison, Harrison Butker of the Kansas City Chiefs, 
Uh, he's missed two field goals the whole season, okay, in between 40 and 49 yards. But he also made four field goals of 50 yards or more this year. Two of them came in week two against the Chargers. Two 58-yard field goals, including one to win the game. So they've got an excellent field goal kicker. Now, on the other side, you know, this the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have got Ryan Suckup. You know, and he's been around the league. He's had an excellent season. He's missed a total of three field goals the whole year, three from beyond 40 yards, perfect inside of 40 yards. So for the first time that I can remember, as with Bruce Arians as a head coach, he's got a dependable field goal kicker. Now, none of us believe that field goals are going to win this game. Um, but if you look at the history of the Patriots and the Super Bowls they've won, including Super Bowl, you know, in New Orleans and Brady's first Super Bowl, you know, against the St. Louis Rams. I mean, that was a field goal that won the game. In fact, you know, they had a number of games where field goals decided the game. So it's just something to keep in mind, including really a 13 to three game against the Rams just two years ago, um, you know, that decided that game. Uh, one touchdown the whole game, three field goals otherwise. So something to keep in mind. Uh, you know, and then, look, just the, the punting. We saw McCall, McCall Hardman, you know, muff a punt that led to a Buffalo Bill touchdown, you know, the AFC Championship game. Um, you know, those kind of plays are just critical. Uh, there is a chance of thunderstorms tomorrow. People have been asking me all week, how does that favor one team versus the other? I mean, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers now have played 18 games this season. Okay, they've lost five fumbles this year. They've lost five fumbles in 18 games. I mean, that's Tom Brady. Um, that's attention to detail. Uh, it's really remarkable. Brady lost one fumble the whole year in 18 starts. Uh, you know, uh, the other uh, Ronald Jones fumbled twice the whole season. You know, when you look at Kansas City, they've got they lost nine fumbles this year. So it's not something that you expect from either team. Um, I don't think these teams played in a whole lot of inclement weather this year. But if, you know, anybody that's been to Florida, uh, these flash thunderstorms can pass through. They can clear up. Um, they can, you know, soak a field in a matter of minutes. I don't know how, how long these thunderstorms might, you know, last, how long they might hold up. We saw the last game, that last Super Bowl that I can remember that was influenced, uh, you know, by inclement weather was Indianapolis, Chicago. Of course, that was Prince singing Purple Rain at halftime down there in Miami, South Florida. And, you know, that was just a mess. And in that game, um, you know, Peyton Manning checked the ball down all the way down the field. And they weren't throwing the ball down the field to Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne in that game. So, you know, you have to adjust if it does happen. But I, but I believe that, you know, the weather is not going to favor one team or another. I think, you know, the fact that you have some fans in the stands, there'll be some atmosphere there. Let's give credit to the NFL, to, to Roger Goodell here, to Troy Vincent, to the group. 7,000 of the 21,000 or so fans tomorrow will be people that have been on the front lines fighting COVID throughout the country in one form or another. Uh, we need to salute those people, all the people that have helped um, get the game to where we are. We have not missed one game this season. Uh, we are at 200 
in 69 games tomorrow, I believe, 269, I think. 269th game, not missing one game. Uh, it's been remarkable. I remember starting my coverage of the season on July 20th this year, about the time that some of the teams were, were starting training camp. And I was at NFL Films uh, kind of doing some shows for the NFL Network from there and from one of those studios. And really, we had our fingers crossed. Nobody knew how this year was going to work out. And then I I went to seven training camps. You know, I, I went to the Carolina Panthers, the Washington football team, the Philadelphia Eagles, the New York Giants, the New York Jets. I, mean, I went to seven training camps around the country this year. And every single team had a different protocol for, for watching practice, getting into practice, uh, getting clearance to go to practice. I did 17 games for National Radio Compass Media Network this year. Uh, my partner, Chris Carino, myself, we did 17 games. We worked every week, traveled every week. Every team had a different protocol. Um, we masked up. Uh, nobody was on the field. Um, you know, we, we, we socially distanced in the broadcast booth. Um, even last week, doing the Hula Bowl for CBS out in Hawaii, uh, we, we adhered to all of the rules everything that they put in front of us. And here we are, the 269th game, the biggest game of the year. And I think it's just going to be tremendous. Um, the one thing that we have seen to keep in mind with Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs is no lead is safe. We, we saw it in a playoff game last year against Houston, down 24-0, um, you know, just ran the table and just scorched them. We saw them down 9 nothing. Uh, to the Buffalo Bills in the NFC Championship game this year, not a problem. We saw uh, the Chiefs down 20 to 10 to the 49ers with nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter last year to the 49ers, uh, backed up third and 15. Um, they came back. Just really nothing can stop that team. In fact, I think they play their best football when they're down and they're behind and they've probably got to play catch up. It seems like it, it just – gives laser focus to Mahomes and that offense and the play calling and the execution. We've seen it time and time again. We saw it three years ago in the AFC Championship game against the Patriots when the Patriots jumped all over them. They were up 14 nothing, And, you know, the Chiefs came all the way back at Arrowhead and took the lead and eventually surrendered it in some, you know, crazy decisions. But anyways, no lead is safe. I think that we have seen enough from Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, who can, who can forget the Super Bowl against Atlanta, 28-3 in the third quarter. They come roaring back to win that game. Of course, um, the, the Patriots stuck it to the Falcons in that game. By when they got their rings, they put 283 diamonds uh, in their ring to commemorate coming back from being down 28-3. to So I think Tom Brady has been in, through enough of these, of course, all Philadelphia Eagle fans and all fans of the NFL will remember three years ago in Minneapolis, U.S. Bank Stadium, Tom Brady, you know, charging down the field, um, you know, down 41-33. And Brady looking like he's in position to go tie it up. And Brandon Graham got the, the ball out of Tom Brady's hands in the final minute. And the Eagles held on to win the game. So I think both teams are more than capable with their quarterbacks. If they have the ball last and they need a final drive to win it, 
that both quarterbacks are capable of doing it. So I think that kind of covers a lot of it. I will make my Super Bowl prediction at this point, uh, 31 or 32 minutes into this podcast. Uh, One thing that I have really paid attention to throughout this postseason, starting on that Super Wild Card weekend on a Saturday night when the Bucs went to Washington and beat Taylor Heineke and Washington football team in that game, was their ability to take the ball away. They have seven takeaways in this game, including three interceptions by Sean Murphy Bunting, an interception in each game so far. And they've been, all of them have been an unbelievable variety, but he's shown great hands and great ability to cover a slot receiver. And I don't believe that the Bucs would be here right now without Sean Murphy Bunting. But they've got seven takeaways. And when you watch them, they have turned those seven takeaways into six touchdowns. And it's the reason why they beat the Green Bay Packers. It's, you know, it's the reason why they're, they're where they're at right now. And I don't think it's a fluke. They create those turnovers. Um, the way Jordan Whitehead hit, you know, on, you know, twice against Aaron Jones and popping the ball loose twice and recovering once that led to a touchdown. Um, the speed of Levante David and Devin White is as good as any inside tandem of linebackers in this whole league. And I think it will show up. I think that speed will show up sideline to sideline. They'll play every snap, provide they're healthy in the game. And I think uh, they're difference makers. Uh, And so I like Tampa in this game because their ability to take it away and to capitalize on the takeaways. I like the way this Tampa Bay offense fought through adversity. You know, they lost two games in the middle of the season. Um, you know, in week 12, week 11, they lost to the Rams, number one defensive football. The following week, you know, they lost to Kansas City, both those games at home. So I like the Bucks offense, the way it has adjusted, the way that they will balance it up, they will stay with the run. Their big play capabilities, including Rob Gronkowski, um, whatever role that he has, uh, whether it's a blocking tight end, pass blocking, um, whether it's a red zone uh, throw. I mean, he's just been the ultimate team player. Uh, and so we know how difficult it is to repeat. Other teams have, you know, had that chance and not been able to do it. But the last thing I'd say in picking the Bucks in this game, and I pick them 31 to 28. So I'm taking the over. And I'm taking the Bucks, but the last thing, and you know, you can't, you can't just sweep around the rug. But this, this unfortunate in- incident by Britt Reed, the outside linebacker coach and son of Andy Reed, by the Chiefs on Friday night, two days or a day before they were scheduled to leave and depart for Tampa, um, under the influence of drinking, hit a car on the side of the road. They've got. You know, two children that have been severely injured. Britt Reed is in the hospital, won't make the trip. Um, Andy Reed is going to have to deal with that. The team is going to have to deal with that. We don't know how it will affect the team. But no team has put any bulletin board material out there. Not even close in two weeks. They have been as professional as they get. This is the only thing that you can think of so far. We still have to get through Saturday night. Um, you know, Sunday morning, but so far. You know, whether it's been COVID, curfews, 
um, bulletin board material. Both teams have stayed away from all of it. But this incident by Britt Reed, you just don't know how it will affect the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm sure the players have talked about it amongst themselves. They got a, they got a three-hour flight to Tampa to, to think about it. I'm sure Andy Reid has addressed it. Nonetheless, they're going to be without their outside linebacker coach and the son of the coach. And so we have got to wait and see um, just how this does affect the team. I'm sure there will be a statement um, by the team, by Andy Reid. We'll, we'll see. I'm sure it will be very generic. Won't go into any detail. I'm sure we'll get uh, more, you know, more updates from the hospital and both Britt Reed and the children that were injured. It's ugly. It's unfortunate, but it has to be dealt with. And so we don't know how these things affect a football team. Nonetheless, I, I leave and finish Baldy's Breakdowns podcast, Super Bowl style, uh, flying solo without Jason Lockett for Jason would back next week. Uh, as we recap Super Bowl 55. But for everybody out there that has listened all season long, we can't thank you enough. Uh, we love our audience. We appreciate all the love that you've given us for finding us, for listening to us. This is Baldi's Breakdown Super Bowl style. Enjoy the game, everybody. Can't wait for kickoff. Oh, before we finish this Baldi's Breakdowns podcast, we have breaking news. While I was pontificating, on the Super Bowl, Adam Schefter, Chris Mortensen have revealed and released a statement that the Eagles are indeed going to trade Carson Wentz. And this offseason just got that much more interesting after we all witnessed Matt Stafford being traded to the Los Angeles Rams for, a, for just a huge collection of talent and uh, draft capital. We'll leave it at that. So what does this mean? For the Philadelphia Eagles, Jalen Jalen Hurts, who started four games for the Eagles, was benched in the Week 17 game, final game against the Washington football team, uh, is there, 53rd pick in the draft a year ago, with a new staff led by Nick Sirianni that uh, joined the Eagles coming from the Indianapolis Colts where he was the offense coordinator for Frank Reich. What does that mean? Does that mean that I'm sure all Eagle fans would think, well, if we could somehow trade for Deshaun Watson, who wants out of Houston, we could really come out on top of this deal. Well, I don't know if that's going to happen. Uh, the Houston Texans don't look like they have any interest in trading Deshaun Watson. They hold all the cards. But let's get to Carson Wentz for a moment. Because his play was substandard all season long. And for much of 2019, it was not a good standard of play. Now, you could say um, a, a beat-up uh, offensive line, true. An inexperienced uh, wide receiver core at times, true. Uh, a coaching staff that may not have gotten the best out of Carson Wentz, true, possibly. But a lot of this is on Carson Wentz because when you're not playing well, you cannot – Blame it on anybody but yourself. You have got to look yourself in the mirror. And you have to be honest with yourself that my mechanics and his mechanics were not good. His fundamentals were not good. From the basics of throwing a football, weight transfer, um, seeing the field, having a plan, there's things that Carson lacked. Doug Peterson tried to adjust to try to help Carson. 
He simplified the offense. Sometimes you can simplify it too much and it backfires. I don't know exactly where things went wrong with the Eagles and Carson Wentz. I really don't. I live in Philadelphia. Um, but it's a shame because Carson is a quality guy. He has great leadership ability. At times, athletically, he reminds you of a cyborg. He looks indestructible, even though he's had injuries. He's as tough as they come. But he is not a polished quarterback right now. And, you know, between his rookie season, 2016, 2017, John Filippo, the quarterback coach for the Eagles at the time, really went to work with him on his fundamentals. And it really showed the following season when he went 11-2 as a starter before tearing his ACL against the Rams. And he was a certifiable MVP candidate, setting the Eagles record for touchdown passes in the season, et cetera. But it's over. So now, you know, who who will want Carson Wentz? I mean, the obvious, you know, place to land is Frank Reich in Indianapolis Colts with Philip Rivers retiring. The very possibility could be there. We'll see what kind of compensation the Eagles are looking for, what Chris Ballard, the general manager of the Colts, is looking to give up. And then, it's, you know, all eyes on Carson Wentz to see if he can regain his form. If it's just a fresh start that turns things around, and then what do the Eagles do? Do they trade for or pick up a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick as a backup and let Jalen Hurts develop? I know this. Three weeks after the, the end of the season, Jalen Hurts was working out at Lane Johnson's house in Morristown, New Jersey, and not one person from the Eagles picked up the phone and, and even called Jalen Hurts, which I thought was just awful. Um especially the way the season ended and with him getting pulled with just a silly decision by Doug Peterson uh, to play Nate Sudfeld. So anyways, that's what we have. That's the breaking news. That's my take on it right now. Um, yes. If the Eagles could pull off a trade for Deshaun Watson against the Houston Texans, um, you know, better, dis better judgment right now, that would be unbelievable. Cause I think Deshaun Watson is one of the 10 best players in the national football league and he would elevate any team around him immediately. But anyways, just addressing the breaking news, that's it for Baldy's Breakdowns. We'll probably have much more of this story and much more to come from the results of Super Bowl 55 when Jason Lockenfora joins me next week for a recap.